Hey, friends, welcome to episode 23 of Mama and the Rev. <laughs> I am not the mama and... I'm not the Rev, and it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fun. It is. It is. <laughs> Emily Trotter and I uh, walk alongside each other on this journey as we expand our mind and open our hearts to the work of God through His Holy Spirit in our lives, the sustaining and maintaining power. How are you today? I'm excellent. And I do think that we should mention that, you know, we started back to in, in-person church, and while you were preaching last week, I had a really hard time not chiming in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for those of you who are joining us or are not aware of our context, our church, as many churches around the world, have been worshiping online. Back in October, we opened up our traditional service. Just this last Sunday, we opened up our contemporary worship service in person. And what she's referring to is when I was preaching, not being able to chime in. Man, I really want – that would have been weird. It would have been so weird. And people would have been like, what is happening over here? Ooh, I would have been escorted out, I think. You know, maybe we need to plan something, you know, just kind of like – I was nodding a lot. I hope you saw me nodding. I thought you were dozing off. Uh, I was nodding. I was taking notes. I did say amen one time, but the mask kind of um, buffers that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that anti-amen mask. That's right. No, but I will say, you know, we've been through, you know, what, a year, almost a year of everybody being online and everybody being at home and kind of sticking sticking close to your couch, especially on Sunday mornings when it comes time for worship. But And it's been a pain in the tail. But this Mama and the Rev is one of those things that was born out of that. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful a little bit. Just a little bit. Just I'm little. really <laughs> thankful. Seriously, my day uh, well, is always looking for. I don't want people to think forward. I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a far leap. <laughs> it's true. We have been doing this now since August. We're on episode 23. For those of you who might be just joining us, welcome. If you're joining us through Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or from our website, or even Apple iTunes, we're glad that you're joining us. Please share with other folks, and also feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you can reach us at our at our email address, podcast at spumcolumbus.com. Today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. The book of Corinthians is written, ironically, to a group of people in Corinth, okay? That's what I love about Paul. I mean, you kind of get the gist of it. Yeah. I wonder who he's writing to. The Ephesians. I mean, the the book of Ephesians. Now, that is, a little, that is a little confusing because Peter's written by Peter. Titus is not written by Titus. No, it's true. That is, I mean, that's probably one. Maybe we need to have an episode all around that and kind of. Yes, because I have thought, who is Peter talking to? <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't he just be like Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so Paul writes to this church in Corinth. And at the end of 2 Corinthians, he writes uh, about a very vulnerable time in his life. He's uh, writing about this thorn in his side. Now, there's been a lot of folks who have tried to determine what that thorn was. Have you ever heard someone trying to describe what that thorn is? The only description I've ever heard is, we don't know what it was. It's a vernacular. We don't really mean that there's a pain in our neck. And, and 
this is not like he walked around with this huge thorn in his side. And you almost want to say, hey, you know, just take your index finger and your thumb and grab it and pull it out, right? But isn't that the way that we treat a lot of things in our own lives? We believe that if this is a cross that we have to bear or there's this pain in our spiritual walk, that it's on us to actually get it out. It's on us to fix it. Look, we, we're we not going to elevate Paul too high, and we want to embrace his humanity right. in this because this is how we approach this also is through our own humanity. But we don't know how long it took him to get to a point where he actually started praying about this and he, he gave it to God, or was right. there a moment where he did it himself? Was it his eyesight? Was it the way he walked? Was it something that was very taxing. I would imagine it had something to do with his relationship with Corinth and and prohibiting something that he wanted to do in ministry. I mean, he doesn't write this to anybody else. He gives reference in some of the books that he writes. You know, he had a secretary that, and that was common, that he would dictate these letters and they would write. But at the end of some of his books, he would say, this is I, Paul, who are writing, see my large letters that I'm writing in. So some folks, I think, well, maybe it was his eyesight or or something Hmm. else. But either way you go with this, there is something that he brings to the Lord at this time. This is really interesting when it comes to our our walk with God because we look at these and label these as thorns, as barriers, as pains in the neck, when ultimately, even though that may be exactly what they are, we stop right there at the description and never see what God can do through it. Yeah. Because we don't know what that thorn is that Paul's referring to here, it it also kind of lends itself to be good for us because we it doesn't limit us on our thinking of what that is and, oh, that doesn't apply to me. That's right. So we can take this to be whatever. It gives us an opportunity to look at our own lives and our own inadequacies. And it could be things about the past, like the shame of the past, uh, the regrets of the past, the fears of the future. It could be something that is emotionally driven. It could be something that is occupying our minds all the time that takes our focus off of the cross and off of God's grace. Yeah. This is so convicting to even talk about. (laughs) Because I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, if Paul prayed, when he finally said, hey, you know what, I'm going to pray about this, and then didn't get a response, said, okay, well, I guess God doesn't care necessarily. Okay, I'm going to work on it myself, see a second opinion, get, you know, see somebody, talk to somebody, see what's going on here. Oh, that didn't help. I'm going to pray about it again. I mean, just the... Just the process of what that looks like and then what it might have been like for Paul and then what I know in my own life for it to have been like. That's why I think this passage is so good because we all have something that we've said, Lord, please take this away from me. I don't want to do this. I don't want it to be this way. I can't do this. This is hard or I've tried so many times and failed. Lord, please help me. And the Lord is either silent or, you know, Paul at least eventually got an answer saying, no, I'm not taking it from you. (laughs) Mm. <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to take it for you because you have to learn through this. And that's so that's so all of us. It is. 
It, it is so all of us. We're looking at what Paul was writing here, and we've got to see that this is after self-reflection. We all look at this as first person that this is happening to us now. I bet you everyone who is listening, and even myself and you, Emily, if you're listening, <laughs> Emily. But, I might not be. <laughs> but we all are in a place where we are actually walking through this right now. We Absolutely. can see our thorn. Mm-hmm. We feel our thorn. We hear our thorn. So it is very real and there's you know no self-reflection. And, and, and we try, even in my own life, I, I thought, man, maybe I'm not praying enough. Maybe I'm not right. doing something enough. And, and of course, anytime you add to the complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you are diluting the significance of what Jesus did on the cross. Right. It is is not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Right. And so we will approach it with this idea or this concept. We'll approach it with maybe I'm not doing something right. Yeah. And so he is writing to the church in Corinth, and this is unfolding for him. And and so this is after self-reflection. He says in verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited. Okay, now nobody thinks in the midst of a thorn. Now, whatever that thorn may be, boy, this is God showing me and preventing me from being conceited. Okay, no one goes through that immediate processing. This is self-reflection. This is this is why it's so important to see as as we read this part of the scripture that this is Paul reflecting back. Mm-hmm. And so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He continues in in verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. If we stopped right there, that's where the present is for many folks. That that in the midst of the thorn that we are asking, pleading. And the way he says three times means that it has been continual or he hadn't got an answer. It's not like God said, no, no. No. Yeah. It was only after the third time. That if God that re- answered. Yeah. You know, you read, the, I mean, because we've all read this verse how many times? Forever? <laughs> we've all read this verse a hundred times. This is quoted all the time. Yeah. Taken out of context. Um, and so you may not ever really know the whole story, but when you read it and you, because the words that jumped out to me were to keep me from being conceited, which ought to give us a clue as to how we can look for those things in our own lives. What keeps me humble? What keeps me from being so full of myself? Or why does this always happen? Oh, oh, okay. Now maybe I have a clue as to why this always happens. And then it, and this, a messenger of Satan jumps out at me because that also says, well, what do you mean? God, (laughs) let this messenger of Satan bother Paul. I mean, this is Paul. He, like, did everything. He was like this perfect missionary. He was like, let me tell everybody about Jesus. Let me do these things. I'm going to build these churches. I'm going to spread this faith. I'm going to—I don't care if I am imprisoned. I don't care if I am put to death. I don't care about any of these things. My job is to tell people about the Lord. I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus. And you look at it and you go, but a messenger of Satan and God didn't respond? Why? (laughs) 
that seems like it would be right up God's alley to respond to a messenger of Satan when we're begging it to go away. Right. The message of the good news, in contrast to the message of Satan, is that we're accepted, that we are a part of, that we're welcomed in to God's kingdom as children because of what Christ has done on the cross. Brennan Manning, in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, right at the beginning tells a story after he speaks at this church. He says, man, I gave a concise, clear uh, message of the good news with clear scripture reading and all, all this stuff. And at the end, they have a prayer and a song. And as he's leaving, he overheard the minister of that church tell his associate minister, that airhead did not even tell the people what they have to do to earn their salvation. And this is the mentality. I mean, Brendan Manning goes on and says, something is terribly wrong with our understanding of the gospel. Something terribly wrong with our understanding of the gospel. It's not about what we do. What we learn here as we go into verses 9 and 10, what we learn here that it's all about us being in a position of weakness where we're even able to recognize the power and the strength and even to grasp the majestic sufficiency of the grace of God. And that's really an aha, hallelujah moment when you can when you figure that out for yourself, when you can say, oh, that's what this means. That's what this means. I, you know, I, I don't have to, I can just rest in that grace. I can just rest in this because, and, and the other thing is, this is something that we're all going to need. Yeah. We're all going to need, we all have to have this grace. We're all going to have to come to the point where we have to rely on it. We have to deal with our need for it. There's, yeah. a, there's some point where we're going to have to accept the fact that we're either going to reject it or we're going to accept it. And, and in our world today, Emily, grace has been turned into a virtue. Yeah. You know, th- that, boy, this person is so gracious or this person is such a disgrace. And we have characterized people around this idea of virtue and using the word gracious. But biblical sense of grace has nothing to do with a virtue. The biblical sense of grace is as David Barnhouse writes, love that goes up is worship. Love that goes out is affection, but love that stoops down is grace. And that's what God does is this love that reaches down. It's this very transitive and active action. And the biblical sense of the word grace is that love that he gives. So Paul, I prayed three times, this messenger of Satan to harass me to from and keep me from being conceited. He says in verse eight, three times, I pleaded with the Lord that this should leave me. I mean, how many times have you said, okay, God, this is what should happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is what should happen. And then in verse nine, the contrast word, but, but he said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The tenses of the verb there are beautiful. It's not my power was made perfect in weakness. It's not that my power will be made perfect in weakness. It is is made perfect. It's right now, right when you need it. It is made perfect in weakness. And that is so hard to live into because it's so countercultural. Right. That Christ's grace is enough. Well, and you know, 
when things are going good and we feel strong, we don't want to, we don't have need to think about the grace of God, right? Yeah. So in that, in our weakness, it's when we need it and when we need to be reminded of it. And you know, that power or my power and what power is that? Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Just like in Romans 8, where it says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, well, it resides in you. Why you feel weak? Why you even care about this thorn? You've still got the power of me inside of you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the same. What do you need? What does it matter to you if whatever Paul was, you know, you couldn't? For me, it would be... And I had that, you know, oh, are we going to be really vulnerable? And, you know, then I'll be embarrassed every time I see any of you that ever bring this up. Um, but like I had to, I mean, I have struggled with my weight my entire life. I've always been the chunkier little girl. Um, and I'm just that way genetically. Okay. I'm just that way genetically. I'm big boned. <laughs> so, I mean, it is what it is. And I have... Way more than three times, <laughs> way more than three times have I pleaded with the Lord, please make me skinny. Please just, you could make me skinny. You could literally, Lord, make me not hungry. You could change my appetite. You could change my metabolism. You could make me thinner if you wanted to. Why wouldn't, why won't you do this for me? You see how upsetting it is to me. You see my tears. You see my frustration and my self-consciousness and all of this. Why wouldn't you want to take this from me? I'm, I'm so good. I love you so much, Lord. Please. I deserve it. Yes, I deserve this. Please, please, please. I've worked so hard. Please just give me a, a little bit, just a little. And now in my 40s, when it only gets worse, <laughs> this is so uplifting to people. <laughs> when, you're, when you're 40 and you've, you've birthed four children and your hormones then get all wacky, it, it only gets worse and then you only get more self-conscious. And I finally have come to this point in the last year or so where it's like, number one, God does not care what I look like. <laughs> he doesn't care. And so having to come into that moment of, Emily, that is not even how I see you. When I look at you, I see this, this person that I created to live on this earth and do these things, and you're now living into what I've called you to be, and you're doing a great job, and I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And when I look at you, I see my grace and my love and the blood of my son covering you and whatever decision that you make. This is what I see. That's the beauty I see when I look at you. And I can think back now of, of things in, in high school and in college and even in my early 20s of things that if I had looked better, I mean, in all honesty, being completely vulnerable, if I had been what I wanted to be and I had had that confidence and that, huh, I'm cute, all right, I could have gotten into so much more trouble than I did. And now I can think as I look at my teenage sons and as I spend time with the high school girls of our youth group, now I can see, gosh, the Lord was even protecting me in that. And he didn't answer my, he has not ever answered my request because he was protecting me from being something that I was not supposed to be. He was keeping me from those bad decisions that I most definitely would have made. So you see that power and you see that crystal clear, 
oh, well, I can look at it now. It still doesn't make me go, but God, I mean, really? <laughs> yeah, and, and you went through, I mean, look, it, whoever goes through any of these thorns in our side, what is common in all of it is the message of Satan saying you're not good enough. Yeah. Is the message of Satan saying God must not love you. Look, right. all the things that you deserve and you're owed and you're due. I mean, humility that we receive everything as a gift from God. Well, and you know, and, and in my mind, you know, and I don't know that anybody ever looked at me and thought these things, you know? Yeah, there's so, that internal struggle we all right, go through. And yeah. so this thorn that we have, you may not see. You may not see it. You may feel like it's a glaring, well, and you may feel like it's a glaring, flashing neon sign telling everyone, yes, I know. You don't, I know that this is my issue, guys. But they, no one else probably even notices or cares. <laughs> and there's that internal voice saying, or that whisper in your ear saying, ooh, you're a mess. You look awful. You shouldn't have worn that today. <laughs> We, we hear that Welcome voice. to my brain. <laughs> you know, you've really got to stop listening to those voices in your head. <laughs> but we, go through, we all go through these moments where we listen more to ourselves than what God says. Right. We listen to what the world says. Yeah. And that, that becomes a very— Because those voices are loud. Oh, yeah. And they're very, they're very real and they're very present. And here's God— Coming into Paul's life, the Lord says that my grace is not will be, not was. Hey, look what I did. You should just work it out. Yeah. Or you should just wait. <laughs> you just wait. It's coming. Okay. In the future, yeah. my grace will come. No. It's my grace is, is. sufficient. Yeah. My grace is sufficient for you right now. Yeah. Right now. And it's it's free. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It is free. It is free. It's, it's not cheap. Yeah, it's given. This grace is given. I have been really thinking about a lot about grace because of Titus. So grace is this favor disposed to, inclined, favorable towards, leaning towards to share benefit, preeminently used of the Lord's favor. And, and what I love about it, too, is that's the New Testament, the Greek word for it. And then even the Old Testament word, it refers to God freely and fully extending himself, reaching to people because he is disposed to bless or be near them. And it said that kindness by which God bestows favor even upon the ill-deserving and grants to sinners the pardon of their offenses and bids them accept of eternal salvation through Christ. And so this idea that this grace is given to a bunch of ill-deserving <laughs> people, and we've been ill-deserving since Genesis. Before we took our first breath. Yeah. I mean, we've not deserved it since sin entered into the picture. And God still gives it. He still gives it. I love that picture of thinking of God leaning towards, bending his our way, ready to give fully giving of himself to say, here, I'm, I'm giving this to you. Just take it. Take it so I can be in the midst of this. And I've really thought about this because of the the youth and, and working with the kids these days, <laughs> um, which is new to me. It's not something I've always done. But 
so many times I want to look at them and grab their little faces in my hands and say, y'all have no idea. And I know everyone says this, but oh my gosh, if you could just know right now what you're going to figure out. Yeah. You're going to figure it out. And I know that that's part of growing and learning. But when you look at them and you you tell them, it's going to be okay. The Lord loves you. This I know this is upsetting. I know that that little boy broke your heart. I know that that girl hurt your feelings. I know that that little girl broke your heart. I know that this is tough and you just don't know how you're going to go on but it's all going to be okay. And I'd like to shake myself sometimes and say, Emily, for Pete's sake, you know all this. You should know better. (laughs) And people who have come before you turn to you and turn to me and take us by the shoulders and say, it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's going to be, I know this is what you're going through. And I can only imagine how difficult this is, but it's going to be okay. God loves you. His grace is sufficient. I mean, when Jesus answers Paul, he doesn't give a reason why. Yeah. He doesn't address the fact that he prayed three times. All it is is my grace is sufficient, which tells me that it's an overarching grace. It's a grace that works for all of us. Yeah. It's not just for the thorn in our side, which could be anything. But it's for the thorn in your side tomorrow that yeah. you don't even know about. That's right. Or the broken relationship from last year. Yeah. It is uh, multi-encompassing. It, it yeah. encompasses it all. My grace is sufficient. When and it that continues. Is, yeah, and it's so difficult because what I'd love to be able to say, and maybe you can, Emily, I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. To me, I'm wired to demand an answer. Because I can live with an answer. I can't live, you know, it's, it's, if, if I know that something's broken and I want it to work, right. I want it to work. And if I, if I understand why, maybe I can fix it. But this whole idea is dripping with faith and confidence that you really believe that the grace of God is enough. Yeah. And what he says is in weakness— His power is made perfect. This doesn't mean in your weakness, you get more power. No, you have the power, but we don't recognize the power we have because of our own strength and our own pride. We got to come to a place, whatever it is, and say, you know what, God, this is your problem, not mine. Amen. Because we are, we're weak, we can't do it. This is what I believe it looks like to be accepted by God. As you were mentioning from the Old Testament, that concept of grace, of God leaning in, of stooping, or the the Psalms where David or the writer says, turn your ear towards me, O God. Mm -hmm. This is the picture that comes to mind. In a crowded room, and I hear thousands of little children say, mom or dad. Yeah. But then I hear John or Anna or Katie And I snap and I go, that, I know them. (laughs) That's my mom, dad, yeah. (laughs) Now, imagine yourself believing that you really are a child of God. And you cry out, Abba, Father, and God leaning in. Yeah. And hearing you. Just imagine what that would do differently in our hearts and our lives. 
What would it be like for you who are listening today to step into your thorn right now, believing that God is right there with you? He's not speaking and responding from a distance, but he's right there with you. What would it be like for you if you believe this and you reached out to God and you heard him respond in the same manner? My grace is sufficient. In your weakness, in your acknowledgement that you can't do it, reveals my power. Brennan Manning in the Ragamuffin Gospel wrote this, and, and I have in the margins this note that says, this is where we all begin to understand God's grace. He writes, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. May God hold you in the palm of his hand this week and the weeks to come. God bless. Thank you for joining us.